Hi, and welcome to a special bonus episode of This Is Community, the podcast for purpose-built communities. I'm Aton Davidson. The research is clear. For too many Americans, zip codes determine destinies. In other words, the places in which we are born and grow up have a greater impact on our life outcomes than any other single determinant, including genetics. But is there a new movement taking place that is responding to the overwhelming evidence of the importance of place in fighting poverty. In this bonus episode of This Is Community, we get to hear from Jeffrey Canada, founder and president of the Harlem Children's Zone, Carol Naughton, the CEO of Purpose Built Communities, and Kwame Owusu-Kesi, CEO of the Harlem Children's Zone, who all came together to answer this question. Our moderator is Othello Meadows, a managing director for Blue Meridian. This conversation took place in late 2020 at the virtual annual conference of purpose-built communities. Enjoy. Really how excited I am to be with you guys today. Um, for those of you who don't know, this group of people, uh, Carol and, and, and Jeffrey especially, uh, are, are just folks that I've had the chance to work with a little bit and then getting to know Kwame right now is, is, has been a pleasure as well. So really interested in diving into this topic. Uh, we'll do some quick introductions. We could spend the entire 30 minutes talking about these folks' accomplishments on the screen, so we won't do that. Uh, I'll just ask each of the panelists to introduce themselves in, in, in 30 seconds or less, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive in. We'll start with Carol. Good morning, everybody. My name is Carol Naughton. I'm the president and interim CEO of Purpose-Built Communities. Uh, we work with local leaders around the country to help improve neighborhoods so they become platforms that produce ultimately happy, healthy, economically mobile young people. And I'm delighted to be with you all today. Kwame, why don't you jump in? Great. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Kwame Owusu-Kesi, uh, the CEO of the Harlem Children's Zone. And our mission centers on uh, breaking the cycle of intergenerational poverty. Uh, we have a set of best practice programs from cradle to career, um, and ultimately we're focused on um, making sure that millions of young people across the nation are on a pathway to social and economic mobility. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Jeff, why don't you bring us in? Hi, Jeff Canada. I'm the founder of the Harlem Children's Zone, uh, and more recently with uh, Kwame have founded the William Julius Wilson Institute, uh, which is really going to be uh, a support for those of us who care about place-based initiatives in this country. Awesome. Awesome. So you guys are all, or have been for most of your career, part of these really hyper-local uh, place-based movements, right? And so what we're talking about today, kind of building a movement around the idea of place-based interventions, place-based work. Um, what I'm seeing is that there is, I think, on the ground, this feeling about place-based work and the need to go deep and how hard the work is. And it's really in recognition of how difficult the work is. Uh, and then there being some tension, uh, which I think is maybe spurred by the urgency of the moment, uh, around scaling these interventions, around scaling things that we've seen be successful. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on that tension between really doing the work with fidelity and, and depth uh, at the local level and how you take that same fidelity and depth and try and spread that beyond a neighborhood or two. So anybody who feels so inclined, jump in. 
Well, I, I will certainly uh, jump in uh, and uh, say that, you know, that this movement, which is now, you know, been uh, building for the last 20 years, uh, I think is at a point uh, that all of us are thinking about uh, how do we go from serving, you know, hundreds to thousands to millions of uh, young people uh, in this country. Uh, I believe that the best scientific answer for dealing with persistent poverty is working in place, doing cradle to career, using collective action, uh, coming together and uh, creating, I think, the kind of uh, momentum necessary uh, to really tackle these issues. So uh, I don't suspect it'll be easy and I suspect there'll be lots of tensions. Uh, and I think we'll have to work out some of the power dynamics, some of the, the differences in local when you go regional, uh, some of the racial dynamics. I think all of that stuff has to be worked out. But I think if we want to scale, this is this is part of what we're going to have to do. So, Carol, you've also, you and you and Jeff have been in this work for a while, right? And and are really two of the kind of, you know, pioneers in place-based work. Um, you know, what are your thoughts about taking what you guys have really honed and, and, and begun to build this field of practice. What are your thoughts about taking that, you know, beyond an East Lake, beyond a, a Spartanburg and, and really going uh, to scale? Um, well, thank you. Not surprisingly, I agree with Jeff that the science and uh, best practices tell us that place-based people-centered work is the most effective way to create uh, opportunities for families um, to break that cycle of intergenerational poverty. So, so we are in deep agreement about that. When we think about scaling, I think some of the questions really are, how do we take um, the experiences and the policies that we have changed at the local level, um, because we've realized we had to get them changed, whether they were changed in service of a demonstration program or doing some relief from some normal rule or policy or practice, and then um, switch and focus on systemically changing those policies and practices that make it easier for people around the country to improve neighborhoods. So if we know, for example, that um, you know one of the, uh, the tools that we all use in housing is the uh, low-income housing tax credit. If we know that state qualified allocation plans are the most important policy tool in how those uh, resources are allocated, we need to be figuring out how we systemically influence those qualified allocation plans so housing is delivered in a way that supports solid neighborhoods and doesn't isolate people in poverty, but creates opportunities um, to, for families who are receiving the benefit of those resources to be connected with great quality education, great quality health and wellness, and no longer isolated um, by themselves. So I think there are lots of policy changes that we can focus on identifying them and then figuring out kind of what the, the path forward is to get the most important ones changed early, uh, to create the, a fertile ground for people to do this work really important. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, the, the, the policy piece of this is something that, you know, also leads me into maybe what could be considered sort of another limiting factor. So Kwame and, and Jeff have been working with us a bit on develop, at Blue Meridian on working to develop a strategy around talent. Right. And talking to people who lead movements across the country, that seems to be a recurring, you know, kind of theme. Right. How do I get the talent both internally from within a neighborhood as well as attracting people to this work 
uh, that can help, you know, kind of move the needle. I was talking to Shonda Taylor in Birmingham last week, and I said, you know, so if you were going to go beyond Woodlawn into Inslee or some of these other neighborhoods in Birmingham, uh, what would you do? And she started talking about leadership development, and it dawned on me, you know, there aren't four other Mashonda Taylors in, in Birmingham to kind of push that work forward. So the talent piece of it keeps, you know, kind of rearing its head. Uh, Kwame, when you think about kind of the state of the talent pool for this kind of work, like if you look at your background, very diverse background, very, you know, uh, for-profit kind of corporate background, but you bring those same skills and, and tools to this work, right? In your eyes, what do you think about kind of the state of the talent pool and getting that talent into the most desperately needed places? It's a, it's a fantastic question. And I think if we're actually going to be talking about executing at scale, we need the talent in the field to be able to do so. And I think one of the most critical elements in terms of attracting, developing, and retaining talent is breaking mental models about what it means to do this work. I think too often uh, there's labels about what it means to be in nonprofit or doing social sector work, and yeah. therefore an assumption of a set of skills uh, that aren't business skills. Um, but if I tell you, even like the work that we're doing in Harlem, right, that I have a staff of close to 2,000. We serve over 20,000 participants. Uh, the decisions that we're making are life and death, and I'm constantly in strategic decision-making processes. That's business, right? Yeah. And the same skills and, and the same training that I either got on Wall Street or um, through my formal educational training, uh, these are all essential skills in order to run a high-performing enterprise. And that's fundamentally what this work is. So I think it's essential to first break the mental models of it's the same set of skills that lead to success in the traditional corporate world that will lead to success here, right? Strategic planning, uh, leadership development and talent management, um, budget management, uh, strategic planning and forecasting, uh, great customer service, having good governance. All of these are fundamentals, uh, fundamental elements to, to doing this work well. Um, and I think what um, tying back to the conversation that we're having a little bit about the tension around scale is that we need to be really clear about what our North Star is, right? And, and for us, the North Star is having millions of young people on a pathway to social and economic mobility and racial equity. And how that gets powered, that is powered by systems change. So that's talking about like the political environment and the policy um, and, and a number of other different levers in terms of resources um, and, and changing mindsets and also being informed by best practices from the field and research. Both Jeff and Carol had alluded to in terms of how the research has told us the way you make meaningful impact on poverty um, is targeting neighborhoods with comprehensive services. And when we talk about place-based work, place means a lot of different things to, to different people. So it's understanding what are the levels to place, right? There's neighborhoods, there's cities, there's counties, there's regions, there's staying each, at each level plays a role in the work of place-based work, but being really clear in terms of what is that connective tissue that ultimately leads to meaningful impact on the most marginalized communities, right? right? We don't want our communities lost in averages. So, right, you can have great statewide performance, but if you look at it broken up by zip codes, if right. the most devastated zip codes don't have meaningful advancement, are we successful? So that is thinking about policy. That's thinking about allocation of resources. That is the training and development of talent, data share. 
um, how you scale um, innovation. All of this is connected in a way in order to have meaningful change for the most devastated communities. That's, that's, that's beautifully said. How do you how do you guys think about tying all of this together, right? So we spent a lot of time at Bloomberg in thinking about the learnings that emerge as a result of investments we make or uh, relationships that we have. How do you guys think about, you know, kind of bringing those learnings or those those lessons together in some way that's accessible to the person who is starting a place-based movement in, in Milwaukee or anywhere else with what you guys have learned at Eastlake or in Harlem? Um, how do you think about kind of field building, if, if to use that term? In 2020, one of the things that, that we did was really start to think about precisely that question. How do we take um, the knowledge that has been um, developed across these 28 communities that we support around the country, um, create it and then uh, create it in some kind of package and then create opportunities to disperse that? And so in 2021, we're spending a lot of time and energy on producing um, knowledge products that will be available not only to network members, but some will be defined uh, to help advance the field in general. What is the pre-work that really needs to be done uh, on the front end, for example, in order for um, a community really to be ready for this kind of uh, intervention and this kind of attention? Uh, All those kinds of things. That's a a really exciting piece of our work, really for the next three or four years, pulling out those lessons learned, packaging them so they're accessible to lots of different folks, and then dispersing them both across the network and then across the field. Um, it's an exciting piece of our next set of work. Yeah. yeah. The thing that I was going to say is, uh, and I, I just couldn't agree with Carol more. Uh, you know, if, if you want to uh, really learn about business, you go to business school. You, you want to go learn how education, you go to teacher's college. Uh, you want to learn how to be a doctor, you go to medical school. If you, you want to learn how to do our work, right? Where do you go? Who helped give you the set of skills? I am telling you, it is just as complicated. It is just as difficult. Uh, It requires the same amount of passion, intellect, and drive, but we haven't set up the supports so that people aren't constantly reinventing the wheel, right? Right. Uh, We don't want folks to have to relearn stuff that that Carol and I uh, experienced, you know, 12 years ago, uh, and learn, well, that's not the way to do that. So we have to begin to think about how we transfer information, transfer knowledge, transfer experiences in a way that's consumable uh, for folks who are interested in this work. Because right now there is not a formal system of helping people uh, learn the set of skills necessary to do this work. And I think I'll, I'll jump in and add that if you're in this line of work, the data is not always pretty, right? In, in many instances, you have to be prepared to have your heart broken and you cannot become paralyzed by that. The question is, how do you double down on the things that are working? How are you transparent about the things that are not working and having the honest conversations and sharing that uh, with field actors? So to the question about how you think about field building, uh, Jeff hit it in terms of one, you need to have the infrastructure to be able to have good data to inform practice. In addition to that, there needs to be a, a set of core principles and outcomes that, that shape what it means to actually do this work. Uh, on top of that, having the accountability mechanisms to make sure that we are actually doing what we're saying that we're doing. And again, remembering that North Star, are we delivering meaningful outcomes to those that are most marginalized and the most disadvantaged? 
Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I found to be most helpful, you know, because I'm mean, like you, I came to this from the practice of law, right? I came to this from a completely different lens, but the honesty and the candor uh, that some of the, 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 the bigger figures in, the, in this field approached the work with was really refreshing to me, right? So when we initially, in my former life, when we initially got with Purpose Built, I was just blown away at the fact that they would tell us all the things that they thought they did wrong, right? Because, you, you know, people typically don't do that, right? Uh, I've been around Jeff long enough to know that he's quick to tell you, you know, what went well and what didn't go well, right? And so I think also creating the space for people to be really honest about the things that have worked and the things that haven't worked is critical for people who, you know, 10 years ago, like me, who were coming into the work are going to be looking to absorb those lessons. So uh, both of the folks, um, you know, Jeff and, and Carol, uh, are really to be commended for their candor about the highs and the lows. Because uh, you're right, Kwame, it's not always uh, pretty. There is a lot of heartbreak and a lot of disappointment in the work. Um, and you have to kind of be uh, tough enough to kind of persevere through that. Um, shifting gears a little bit, we are, it would be ridiculous not to address where we are nationally right now, right? And what this climate feels like for the work that we're all engaged in and are so passionate about. From you guys' perspectives, do you feel like this presents an opportunity? Is this a moment? Uh, is this a space to hold our ground? Is this a space to push forward? Where are we, given what we've just gone through uh, nationally? Sure, I can, I can jump in on that. Um, I think there is a, a unique opportunity this year uh, where the collective consciousness um, of this nation has risen to a level that is primed for action. And I think all over and all the conversations that I've been a part of are folks looking for organizations that can make a meaningful impact on marginalized communities at scale. Uh, that have a proven track record of success. Um, so for, for us and our approach, it really should be independent on, uh, from election cycles, right? The work continues regardless of who's in policy, um, or sorry, who's in charge of policy. So we need to continue to make sure that we're pushing the envelope. And I think the, with COVID and how that has revealed uh, just the vast inequities across um, so many um, sectors and the interconnectivity of us all, right? The economy doesn't open up until the schools don't open up. And I think traditionally and traditional mindsets had specific ways of thinking about silos. And I think what has been brought to the, the limelight now is just the interconnectivity of it all. So I think there's a real opportunity to make a meaningful impact. Um, and I would say, regardless of who uh, was in charge, I, I, this work is not through grant cycles. It's not through election cycles. We're talking about generational work and generational impact. Uh, so there has to be a sustained commitment. Um, and for us not to squander this opportunity where everyone is now focused on this to continue to push forward uh, because that's how you unlock the great potential that exists within our community. Yes. Amen, Kwame. Uh, this is a, a new opportunity, but this work is, we, we all know, takes a long time, right? And so part of the work that we do is to kind of insulate it against the political cycle. So it continues on following the best practices as we understand them, focused on the outcomes that we wanna be able to reach at the end of the day. That being said, I do think that there is a different um, feel in the country. There's a, um, a recognition of that in, in some ways, 
COVID has been a silo buster. It has demonstrated that all these things that we care about are education, the economy, our housing, the place where people live were dramatically impacted um, by COVID. And, and so I think there is an opportunity to use the new administration, um, maybe some new energy around how all these things are tied together um, to raise and lift up this work as a solution um, to some of the problems that have um, you know, perpetually um, kept neighborhoods down, kept people down in this country for hundreds of years. So I, I am energized by where we are right now. And I think that there's a better opportunity than we had a few weeks ago. And I don't, I don't want to be the uh, sort of down voice uh, in this, uh, but, you know, I, I've been at this game a long time and I've been through some real challenges uh, in this country. Uh, the decay of the inner cities, the riots, uh, living through the political turmoil of the 60s, the Vietnam, the crack cocaine epidemic. Uh, this is the worst uh, that I've seen in my career. Uh, the combination of COVID uh, and the polarization that is intentionally being fostered on this country, uh, trying to divide this nation, uh, is something that I think uh, those of us who do this work, uh, we have to realize that we're first responders. We have to realize that we're really on the front lines, and a lot of what is going to happen in our communities. Uh, we're one of the few folks who are going to be able to impact that in any way whatsoever. Uh, and it's, this is not a time for the faint of heart. Uh, this is not a time for folks who, uh, you know, maybe aren't committed to this work. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, we're all going to have to stand up right now and say we've got to do more. Uh, we've got to raise our voices louder. Uh, we've got to do, be more caring. We've got to raise more money. Uh, to help these communities uh, that we care about. Uh, so I think that we're the ones having this discussion on place right now. Hopefully other folks will join us uh, over the next couple of months, uh, but we should be preparing our communities, uh, you know, to get through. And I think it's going to be six months. We're, we're going to get through this six months and try and save as many of our children and families as we can uh, in that period of time. And then I think uh, we can really get focused on the uh, sort of rebuilding of our communities. You know, I wonder about the 70 million that, um, and, and this is not to suggest that all 70 million of those folks disagree with with, with place-based work and, and the work that we care about, but I'm, there's a wage I would make uh, if I were a betting man. Um, how do we feel about such a large block of the country maybe not being aligned with the work that we hold so dearly, right? And what does that mean practically? Uh, you know, when we look at the electoral map and we see where where things happen the way we wanted them to happen, um, there's a lot of people that need place-based solutions in those red places. I, I, I kind of live in one, right? So, you know, what do we think of, what does that mean for people who don't live in DC, who don't live in Chicago, who don't live in New York, who don't live in Atlanta, you know, what does that mean for the other folks, the other families and children living in poverty uh, from, you know, as we think about place-based solutions for everybody? Anybody jump in there? For more than four years, I have been yelling about this issue. Uh, the uh, vast places in this country that are filled with poor people, 
filled with industries that have left, filled with people who are hopeless, getting addicted to drugs, dying at record numbers, who don't live in the inner cities, and feeling like they are totally ignored, that no one cares about them. Everybody wants to talk about what's happening in, you know, Harlem or Detroit, or but no one cares that my community is bereft of all services, supports, my kids can't go to college. Uh, I think that's what drove some of that 70 million to feel like, you know, a pox on both of your houses. And, and I just want to say that, that, that they rejected the Republican Party as strongly as they rejected the Democratic Party because Trump looks nothing like the typical Republicans. So my sense is they felt someone was caring about them, understanding them, and fighting for them. Uh, and I think those of us in this business uh, have to, when we think about scale, we have to think about these other places where just as many folks are hungry, have lost their jobs, are struggling with addiction and poverty, whose schools are failing, who have no hope. Uh, and you see this issue of the suicides and other things happening uh, in lots of white America right now that folks I don't think have been paying attention to. So uh, I think that those of us, you know, we we know Kentucky has two promised neighborhoods, right? Not like uh, in those places, folks don't think this is an answer. We just, I think, haven't uh, reached out in those places. And another thing Kwame and I have been very concerned about uh, the Native American uh, reservations, uh, because we feel like that's, again, a group of people who are being totally ignored mm -hmm. while this thing, uh, not just with COVID, but all the other issues that we're dealing with uh, sort of are overwhelming those communities. So, so to me, Jeff, what you just said creates both the challenge and the opportunity, right? The, the opportunity is that there is so much more that um, we share in common um, between places where people feel hopeless and left behind. And um, they are not limited to one geography. They're not limited to red or blue states or cities. Um, that the opportunity is throughout the country. And we really can, if we can come up with a united message um, and some principles again, that can be uh, replicated in lots of different places. If we have most of those principles. We, we can help in lots of different places. I also want to say one of the things that I have loved about being involved in this work over the time is seeing people from really different political philosophies, putting those philosophies aside and working together at a local level to solve problems, to bring their best selves to the room, to try to uh, figure out how we can create a better, more equitable um, community where they live and work. Um, and I don't want to, um, I don't want to lose that. There's a lot of folks um, who, who um, I would probably never vote on the same issue with them in a national election, but who I love and respect and have deep regard for because of their commitment to do this work um, at the local level and to, you know, use all their skills and resources and relationships to create better outcomes for folks um, who haven't had that opportunity. Yeah, we're, we're coming up with comprehensive solutions for all, right? And in, in the same way that there's been so much energy in terms of trying to find the vaccine for COVID, right? We believe we have the vaccine for poverty. And it's incumbent upon us to continue to codify those best practices and really share with the field how this actually works and how it can be applied uh, to many different places. So where you talking about urban centers, suburban, uh, rural, uh, Native American reservations, uh, all of this 
we think there are core principles of what it takes to do this work successfully that will be able to make a meaningful impact in our communities. Um, so as we continue, and again, to the, the earlier point about sharing the data um, and, and leveraging the, the networks and systems that we have in place to be able to better communicate and articulate that, uh, I think that's a way to um, bring people better together um, and have a deeper understanding of, of what we're trying to accomplish here. Well, that's, you know, that's really a powerful sentiment, right? The, the, the vaccine for poverty. Um, and it makes me think about how we market that, right? And how we brand that and how we talk about that, right? I think we've just seen over the last four years, the power of marketing and branding, right? <laughs> you know, we've seen how, how that trumps all, like no pun intended, but we've seen that 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 becomes the dominant way that people make decisions about how they're going to spend their time, their resources, their energy. So that makes me wonder, like, how do we create that sort of urgency and that sense of, of, of this is what fixes poverty, or this is at least a way to, to really attack it. So uh, I'm going to steal that from you, Kwame. So don't, don't be upset if you see it somewhere. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> just, just give me a byline. Just give me a right, byline. Right, right. <laughs> So we've got about we've got about three minutes left, and, I'll, and and I want to get from you guys something you're excited about, right? So the 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 work of of this national place based movement to me, there's there's a lot of things to be excited about. There's a lot of doom and gloom right now, and a lot of reasons legitimately to be nervous and, and concerned. But there's also a lot of good reasons to be to be excited. I'd love to hear what you guys are excited about as it relates to this field right now. I can jump in. Uh, not to sound corny, I'm excited about the faces that I see on the screen, right? Because I think it's representative of a uh, a meaningful and thoughtful approach to this work uh, in a new way of collaboration. So starting with yourself, Othello, in terms of the role that you have at BMP and just the, the thought leadership, thought partnership, the resources, the connections, um, and then us working together as partners, Carol, just even not only just cap, uh, with COVID response, uh, particularly in the communities at Atlanta, but uh, continuing to have those lines of communications open and sharing best practices of, of what it takes to do this work. Uh, there's partnerships and connections happening all across this nation. And combined with the moment that we're in now, combined with, with the resources that are being put to bear uh, to, to continue to scale this work, I think we have a, a great opportunity uh, to, to really shape um, what it means to do this work. And then to your point, Othello, market that uh, so that folks know that this is not without hope, right. that there is a solution. There is an answer on the way. Uh, it's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but the, the again, the connections, this community that we've been able to build gives me great hope in our, uh, the prospects of success. Uh, of doing comprehensive place-based work. Yeah, Carol or Jeff? I wanna build on uh, what Kwame just said. Um, I, what gives me hope are the men and women who are in the arena, who are, who are ready to do this really hard, complex, long-term work, um, knowing that even if we do everything that we think is right, we will fail sometimes. Um, but that we keep getting up and we do it over again, we try to do it better the next time try to learn from those successes, but being willing to be hopeful, uh, being willing to work on changing the narrative, uh, being willing to be proximate um, to the issues and the folks uh, in the neighborhoods that we care about. I think those are the things that make me hopeful that um, we are uh, getting to this critical mass 
of really being able to address issues that, um, that as Jeff said, really impact lots of people in this country, not just one group, not just one place, but lots of people and to take those lessons learned to be able to get them out so they can be implemented in lots more places. Well, you know, it's for me, I I love what both Kwame and Carol had to say. Uh, I love the fact that, uh, you know, people used to think about this work in this narrow way. I I compare it when I'm I'm dating all of you all now because y'all don't know about this. When the only telecommunications company in America was Bell. And if you didn't have Bell, you'd have a phone. Uh, And now, and no one thinks now that the fact that you've got six, seven, ten great telecommunicate, you know, AT&T, Verizon, you next, so you name them. I'm seeing that in our field. Uh, we've got Purpose Built. We've got Strive Together. We've got the Harlem Children. You've got folks out there who are doing the work, and no one is saying this is the only way. People are saying, let's figure out how we all begin to improve our practice by coming together, by thinking together, by working together, because there's more work than any one of us will ever be able to accomplish on our own. Uh, And we all want the same things for our children and the children of this country. Uh, So that makes me very hopeful that I'm here, that I, uh, you know, Carol wanted Kwame and I to be part of that, you to be part of this, because I think there's a recognition we're all trying to save America's children. Really well said, and and I appreciate the reference. My mother worked for one of those bells for Midwestern (laughs) Bell for 30 years, so. Um, you guys, it's been a real pleasure. I, I, I mean it when I say every time I spend time with, with any of you, I, I feel like I learned something uh, and I feel better for the experience. And so thank you guys so much for, for taking the time to, to do what we do all the time, anytime we get together anyway, which is figure out these, these difficult problems and wrestle with them. And, and it's great to be in this fight with every one of you guys. So thanks so much for spending the time with us. Thank you, Othello. Thank you, Jeff. Thank Thank you, Kwame. Great to be with you. Always a pleasure, Carol. Thank you all so much. Thanks, Othello. Take care.